Now comes to the second Bible reading. Today's second Bible reading is taken from、uh, Colossians chapter three, verse one to seventeen.、Uh, you can find on the pure Bible in front of you. It's page one two three five. Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature—sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid of yourselves of all such things as these: anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, it's wonderful once again to hear the reading of God's word, and may it be blessed to our hearts and lives. I'm going to pray, and then I'd like to draw your attention to the first four verses of this passage that was just read out from Colossians three. But let's pray first. Our heavenly Father, we prayed earlier that you would speak to us, and we thank you that you are not a silent God, that you have given us your word, and that you still speak to us today. We thank you that this word comes. From our Lord Jesus, not simply when He was here on earth, but now when He sits in a place of power and majesty, He still speaks to us, though we do not see Him by His Spirit.、And、we pray that all of us, both those who preach and those who hear, would be under His lordship and under His rule, and that all things that He purposes for us would be done in us.、And、we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you could、uh, keep that passage from Colossians three open, if you have it there before you, let me just read again the first three, the、uh, first four verses of this passage. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. I think, sadly, it's probably true of all of us as Christians, and I'm thinking here not just in our ordinary lives, but even in our relationship with our Saviour and Lord Jesus, that we live by and large, by the things that we see. We live by this sense. We live by our eyes. And behind our eyes is our reason. We look at what we see, the things that grab our attention, the desires that we have, the fears that we see, the threats that we experience. And we think of that as a sum total of all things. That's what we calculate by. That's how we judge things. Even in our spiritual walk, we are governed by the horizon in front of us and we don't look beyond that to anything else. And this obviously leads to a warped perspective, to a wrong view of things. Because if all that we judge by is what we see, then disappointment will overcome us. Because that is what we see. There will be a lack of hope in our Christian walk. Because hope is by definition in something that you do not see. And we will find it very hard to win the battle against worldliness if all that we see is the world. We so often live by what we see. And because we live by what we see, what the Bible says about Jesus Christ does not seem enough because we do not understand the world as it truly is, namely it is not the sum of what we see, but it finds all meaning and all purpose and all reality and all power in the one who stands and is seated at the right hand of God himself. Because we don't see things that way, we necessarily judge things wrongly. And so Jesus actually seems the wrong solution to our problems because we don't actually see him. All we see is some faint echo of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. We have new problems now and so we carry on judging by what we see. This is not a new problem. This is the problem that the church in Colossae had that Paul was writing to. They judged by the things that they saw. And so they added to the gospel. We feel that the gospel needs new rules, new practices. 
new ceremonies and rituals and beliefs. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but what Paul has taught us is not enough. We need new knowledge, secret knowledge, special knowledge, special rites and practices. We need all of these things. And they thought that they were being very spiritual. And we often think that we're being very spiritual when we judge just by what we see. But in fact, they were being very, very earthly. Because to judge all things and to reckon all things and to calculate what is important in life and what is important about our Christian walk simply by the things that we see is to calculate wrong. And it's to leave Jesus out. But what we see from what Paul says here in Colossians 3 is Jesus is actually our life and yet we do not see him. Jesus is our power. Jesus is our king. Jesus is the one who will bring our glory. And if we cannot see him with these eyes, yet we must judge all things by him, and so we must set our hearts, set our minds on things above, not on things below. We are not to live by what we see. We are to live by what we hear from God's word about the one who has gone ahead of us and before us and yet still is with us and for us. We are to set our hearts on things above. So as we look at these four verses at the start of Colossians 3, I want us to see that we are to set our hearts on things above for three great reasons. And the first one is given to us in these first two verses, and that is we're to set our hearts not on things that we see, but on things above because of where the risen Christ is. It's a wonderful expression, isn't it? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He's actually talking about us becoming Christians. But do we often think about the fact that we are believers in such a wonderful way? What a wonderful way to express it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You know, so often people would say, yes, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm now a Christian. That's wonderful. That's true. That's fantastic. That's great. I have been forgiven of my sins. I've put my faith in Christ. Yes, that is true. That's wonderful. Forgiveness. Putting your faith in him making a decision for him, being identified with him, being adopted into his family. They're all wonderful biblical expressions of what it is to be a Christian. But see how powerful, how majestic this one is. If you are a believer this evening, you have been raised with Jesus Christ. You have been raised, that same power that brought Jesus from death in the grave into life, and not just raised him from death into life, but caused him to ascend into heaven itself at the right hand of God the Father. That same power is the power that has made each one of you, if you believe in Jesus, pass from death to life. The same power that saw that grave open and Jesus come forth is the same power that led you from darkness into light, from death into life. 
And so that means so much more than simply you've made a decision or had your sins forgiven. Wonderful though those things are. You have now been raised completely out of one life, which was actually a death, into true and new life. You have been raised with Jesus Christ. And then Paul follows through with that, doesn't he? Because where is Jesus now? You've been raised with him, but he didn't just stay here, did he? He went on up into heaven. And so Paul draws the consequence, doesn't he? Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you have been raised with Christ, that means your life is connected to Christ. And where Christ is, there your life is. And so you are to look beyond the things that you see. You are to follow the line of where Christ is. And that's where you set your hearts. That's where you set your mind. Where he is. For Christ is the place of life. You see here, Paul is not just giving us a word picture. You know, we often talk in Christian terms, don't we? In Christian society, we talk about living a higher life or seeking higher things, being of a high mind or being spiritual and so on. And we're often talking in metaphors, aren't we? We're using word pictures. But Paul is doing more than that here, isn't he? He's saying he's really risen up into heaven and so you better follow there with your intention, with your heart, with your mind. That's where it all should be. Don't look here, look ahead, look beyond, look forward to him. I used to be a school teacher before I worked at college and I taught Latin, I taught, I'm a language teacher generally speaking. I had to learn how to be a language teacher at university. I remember the lecture I had gave many good tips, and one of the tips that really stuck with me is, you know, when you're a teacher, you'd all been in school, you know this, that they love to fill the whiteboard with everything, don't they? And there I am, filling the whiteboard with all the new grammar and vocabulary I want them to learn, and I keep on talking to them at the front of the class. And what's happening? If they're a good class, and most of them are good classes, they're good students normally, and they all are looking at me as I teach. And yet, what I want them to learn is what's on the board. I remember this lecturer at university telling us all, when you find all the students looking at you and not at the thing that you want them to learn, you turn and you look at what you want them to learn. You've got all their eyes on you, so what do you do? Well, look somewhere else and take their eyes with you. The thing you really want them to know. The thing you really want them to learn. And isn't that really what the Apostle Paul's doing here? He's got this marvellous cosmic whiteboard and on that is, look away from the things that you see here. Don't look at me, look at the one who has gone before you and is seated at God's right hand. Seated, is that because he's passive, he's done his work? No, he's seated because he's the only one who deserves to sit in heaven because he's the king. All the angels must stand before him but he sits there because he has power. And he has a name, and he has a title, and he has a right 
And he's seated there for you. He's never been more active, though you do not see him. And he has your life. And so what are you to do? You're to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Not just seek or set your hearts, but fix your minds on things above and not things below. Paul uses that language elsewhere, doesn't he? You know, in Philippians 2, he talks about let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. That mind which meant that he was content to forego glory, wasn't he? To give up glory and make himself nothing. Take upon himself the form of a slave and be obedient to death, not just any old death, but the shameful death of the cross. And then be given a name above every name. And we're to take that mind upon ourselves. It's not the mind that we see around us. It's the mind of Jesus Christ. And so we have it here again. Set your mind on things above, namely the mind of Christ, and not on things below. It's quite a distinction, isn't there, in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I don't think he means here what you might think he means. When you look at those words, you think maybe he's saying that physical things, the things you see, are necessarily evil. And we should only think of spiritual things. It's not quite what he means here. What he's meaning here is, set your mind on the things that are to do with Jesus and his reign and his kingdom and his rule, which one day you will see, but you do not fully see yet. And don't set your mind on those things which are against his kingdom and against his rule. Things that Paul goes on to talk about in the rest of Colossians 3, doesn't he? He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about covetousness or corrupt desire. He talks about idolatry, anger, wrath, malice or hatred and all the sins against truth. Deceit, lying, falsehood, gossip, and all the rest. Evil speaking. All of those things. They're the things of the earth. Not the good earth that God made, but the things that we produce out of the idol factory of our hearts. We do not look at them, though they seem so real and so threatening and often so to be desired. Not to look at them but to look at the things that are above and what are they? Well, we see later on, don't we? Verses 12 onwards. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, patience, uh, bearing with other, others' grievances against you, forgiving even as you have been forgiven, putting on love. They're the things we are to set our minds you know, so often we think of this as simply a moral battle. And it is that, isn't it? We're to put off bad things and put on good things. Things that even a non-Christian might think are good. You don't have to be a believer to think that patience and truth are good. But there's more than just a moral battle here, isn't there? This is about all those things to do with the one who is alive and has gone before you into heaven. To live 
the life of kindness and compassion and gentleness and patience in a world of cruelty and heartlessness and impatience and material and worshipping the material. It is to be part of the kingdom of the one who sits at the right hand of God. And that's important, isn't it? Because you yourselves will know the pressure's on you. Some of these things of our culture and our society make into ways of having meaning. You take sexual immorality. According to what Paul is saying here, that's a thing below that you should not be dealing with and should be looking beyond and setting your minds on things above. But what does our society do? It takes that which is evil and it makes it into something of meaning, something that gives you identity, something that gives you purpose and fulfilment. And you've got all those pressures on you all the time. You've got that siren call of the culture saying that is the way you find purpose in this world. And what is Paul saying? He's saying that's part of the age that is passing away, that's being done away with, that's actually going down, hurtling down into destruction. You had to set your minds on things above. That is the true reality, a reality that our world doesn't take into account. But that is the age which is going to be eternal, which will always be. To live the life of the things above is to live the life not only of today, but to live the life of tomorrow, to live the life of eternity. To live the life of the things below is to live the life of yesterday to live the life that will be destroyed, which will come to nothing. Set your minds on things above where the risen Christ is. But then we see secondly too, don't we? Why should we set our minds on things above? Look there at verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We must set our minds on things above because that is where our life now is. You have died if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have no choice about the matter anymore. You have actually died to the life of this world. That means that the most important thing of who you are, the world actually can never possibly understand by itself. You've died to the world. And now you live to Jesus Christ. You live a life that, by the standards of the things that are seen, makes no sense. Instead, your true life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that a profound thing to say? That the life, your true life, the life that alone matters is no longer found in the things that you see but has not only been risen up with Christ, is now found in Christ and where has he put it? He's put it in God himself. That is where your life is. Now what do we mean by the hiddenness of this life? Well, it's being hidden for a time. It's not being hidden forever. 
Because Jesus has risen to heaven. He's taken our life with us and there he has hidden it in God. It's not hidden in a sense to make you special, but rather to actually make you humble. To understand that the most important thing to you is no longer found in your grasp, but it's actually taken by Christ into God. And so you depend utterly on God for who you are as believers and for living the Christian life and for serving Christ. That's all hidden in God now. Not in your hands, but in his hands. Not in your sight, but in his profound and eternal and infinite knowledge and power and grace. That is where the life that you have is found. And so it is, yes, hidden, secret in a sense, not understood by the current age that we live in. By definition, misunderstood by the world. It's hidden. But it's also safe, isn't it? It's treasure laid up in heaven. It's found in God alone. And that's a wonderful help, isn't it, in our assurance. Because I don't know if you're like me at all, but I know that in my own walk for Christ, one of the biggest battles I face is assurance. How do I actually know I'm saved? So often I look at the things that I see. I see my own sins. I see my own weaknesses. I see all my prayerlessness. I see my pride. I see the way that I'm completely besotted with the things that I can see instead of with my Saviour. And it's so easy to think that somehow I'm in danger. But where is my life hidden? Where is your life hidden? It's hidden in God. Safe in his hands. The most important thing about you, because Christ has risen and has ascended into glory, the most important thing about you is found in God. And so it's safe there. But we see here thirdly, don't we? Not only are we to set our minds on things above, because that is where Christ is, not only are we to set our minds on things above because Christ has hidden our life there in God. But we also set our minds on things above because it's from there that Christ will bring our glory. Look there at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see here there's a whole history involved. We're part of God's plan here, aren't we? The fact that your life can't be seen here on earth is not some timeless thing. It's the way God has ordained it between Christ leaving us and Christ coming back again. We're part of God's plan. That's why we read from that passage from Acts about the ascension of Jesus. You know, there he is, rising up into heaven and all the disciples are looking up into heaven and they're told that he will come again, bringing his glory with him. That's a great tension that runs through the whole Christian life. And it's a great tension, isn't it? 
First we had Jesus, we were risen with Jesus. Then we had that Jesus took our life and put it in God. But now what do we have? That Jesus himself is our life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then then you will appear with him in glory. You see, Christ is not simply the one who shares new life with us, though that is true. Christ is not merely the one who guards and keeps our life. Christ is our life. You know, it's wonderful. We often in our Bible studies and our preaching, don't we, we chart all the wonderful works that Jesus has done for us. Coming as a baby, living obediently, loving and serving, ministering and healing and and preaching and then being betrayed and being put on the cross for us and then rising again for us. And it's wonderful to think of all those great acts and works that Jesus did for you and me. But you see here, Jesus didn't just give us salvation. He is our salvation. The very Jesus, that is salvation, to be joined to Jesus, to enjoy him and to know him and to be united with him. He is our life, and yet we do not see him. Tragic almost when you think about it. Here is the one who is our life, and we don't see him. Everything that is worthwhile about you and me, if we are believers, is in Christ, and yet he's not physically here. The most important thing about who you are as a Christian is utterly hidden from the world. And it's all too easily forgotten by you too, isn't it? Set your mind on things above, not on what you see. Set your mind on where your life is and that life, which is Christ himself, will come one day and bring glory with him. Your glory is not now. The sight is not now. It's hearing now, it's faith now. The sight will come and your glory will come with it. So what does that mean about the way that we live now? Does it mean that we sort of live like a hermit in a sense and deny this whole world around us? No, it is not. We actually get to see God's world now more clearly, don't we? Because we know this is not where our ultimate life is anymore. Our life is hid with Christ and he will bring it to us. He will bring his glory to us. We can actually see this world now clearly, confidently, with true and certain hope as a place where we now serve. Serve as those who know that they are right now pilgrims and haven't found their final home, and are still waiting for that glory to come. That means we can calculate rightly, can't we? Not by the things that we see, but by the one that we trust in, who we know has his life, our life with him. You see, the world actually knows this deep down, doesn't it? 
here we are in a culture and in a world and in a place where people are finding their ultimate meaning now. That's what they're doing. They're looking at the things that they see and they know that's all I've got and I'm going to find my meaning there. And what happens as they do that? They know it actually can't work. And yet they fashion the things of this world into things outside of themselves. They still take their lives and they bring them from themselves and they put them in those things, don't they? You know, in ancient times and in other parts of the world, you might have talismans and amulets and totems and voodoo dolls or whatever it is, and you put your life in them, you put your hopes and your fears and your hatreds in them. But they're going to be swept away, aren't they? We've got more sophisticated totems and so on, don't we? We put our life in the things that we create or the things that we make or the things that we have created to aspire to. We fashion the things of this world into sandbags hoping that they will protect us from the overwhelming tide of eternity. We know that we can't find life in ourselves and we take the miserable things of our own creation and we think that they will be the carriers of life for us. And even as believers we so often do that, don't we? All our earthly dreams and pretensions and aspirations. And we don't have to do that because our glory is laid up. Our life is laid up. And it's in the one who will one day come again. And how do we fix our hearts and our minds then on the one who will bring his glory? I think I can speak here not just to you as individual believers, but to us as a church. Notice there as Paul goes on in chapter 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And one of the most important ways that that happens is in singing. Not just singing our own songs, but singing God's songs, the Psalms. God's word dwelling richly in us. You see, not just in your Christian individual lives, but in your life as God's people, as the church, it won't make sense unless you judge things not by what you see, but by the one that you believe in. Here we are, gathered around preaching. We remember Jesus in a simple ceremony, the Lord's Supper. You begin the Christian life and some water is poured on you in baptism. It all seems so simple, in some sense so strange. Yet what is it speaking about? It's speaking about one who you cannot now see and yet is the guardian and the giver and the source of your life. And he's teaching you in all of these things that you will not find your glory now. You'll find trouble, yes, and trial. You'll still find joy and hope, but your glory is still to come. And that's not just true for me and for Ian and for other people here in this room individually. That's true for all of us as the body of Christ on earth. The church should not exist if if we just judge by things that we see. Jesus has preserved his bride in all ages and places that one day he may bring them to glory. And I pray that each one of us 
would judge our lives now by that glory that is still being laid up for us. Amen.